0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports card Insights. This is the final part for Mike Summer and I to deal with uh, ComC hacks. So thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, especially ComC.com, this uh, particular episode. This is the third of three. Uh, listen to the others as well. Uh, they're not in any kind of sequence, except these were the last ones that Mike and I dealt with. Also, thanks, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. Burbank Sports Cards and Mike Stadium Sports Cards. So thanks, everybody. Uh, Thanks, sponsors. Thanks, listeners. And uh, enjoy your hobby experience. ComC is one of the ways to do that. Thanks, uh, Mike, for carving out some time for us to do this. Here it is. Do you feel like I think that 90% of the complaints against ComC are about shipping? And I, I bundle my shipping. It's rare. So if you're not really shipping your cards home, then are there complaints for CommC other than very minor things? Because otherwise, I'm hearing how many customer service people they have, and it must be, where's my shipment?
1: Yeah, I think it sounds like a lot of the, the customer service volume that they're getting is due and connected to the delayed shipping times that we're seeing. If anything, I think I've been happy with... The processing times. So they've extended the expectation a little bit, but just recently I sent in about 1,800 cards to get submitted and I just used the basic service and they were due at the end of September, but they're already over half done. So I've been very happy with the processing side of things. I've never had issues with any kind of payouts or withdrawals. Nothing like that has been an issue. And yeah, I think right now the biggest pain point that they're feeling is with shipping. And I'm like you, I typically only would request one or two shipments a year of of all the stuff that I bought. I just bundle it all up and save it up and only get one or two shipments a year and nothing because I also trust them. I haven't felt the need to have to make a purchase and have it sent to me right away. I've been comfortable in just letting those things accumulate. They're all things for my PC, not things I'm trying to flip in person or anything like that. So I've just been saving things up during this period of delayed ship. You're very savvy in the hobby. Basically, I'm trying to figure out
0: there's an incentive. If they just thought, hey, ComC is my vault, they're not ch- charging me anything to hold my cards there. They're going to ship them eventually. If they really wanted to flip them, they can flip them on ComC." Mm-hmm. I- I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out if, if they just thought, you know what, ComC is way behind on shipping. I'm going to consider alternatives to having them ship it to me. I'm going to repost it on ComC, or I'm going to tell my friend to join ComC and buy it from me. I'll take a special offer from them or something. But if, and if it's just for your PC, it's your vault. It's there. Otherwise, you're just going to get frustrated because anybody that's run, I think it's interesting, I enjoy hearing you talk about, is when you bought a million-card inventory. When that happens, you have a completely different perspective about the volume of the industry. Now, you got to multiply by many times to get to Com ComC. Pulling an order, if somebody said, hey, Mike, I know you bought those million cards. I want one card from this set, one card from this set, one card from this set, this sport, this other sport. It's mind boggling. And so how they're able to pull orders, and I I guess they're adding equipment and stuff like that. Just with our company, we other than grading, which is complicated, the magazines, we're just, how many magazines do you want? What issue? What sport? My hat's off to... The the grading companies and ComC that are pulling these orders. Even the auction companies, they have a finite number of auction lots. And if you win, they're going to mail it to you and they're going to charge you the postage. But pulling an order that I want, one from over here, one from over there, that's just, I I would say if ComC does start giving tours, that'll be something that could benefit them because it could really reduce their customer service complaints. When people see it and say, oh my goodness, I had no idea. The, the scale of this. To complain that they're not hiring people fast enough when they're hiring a person a day or something or more, 50 people in a month.
1: Yeah. They're definitely scaling up. I think the same thing applies even when you submit cards and the level of knowledge and expertise that it takes to get all of these random cards thrown together in a box and be able to properly identify and categorize that card. And some of the more obscure things, it's a lot that goes into that. And I, I can only imagine what it takes to do that. And they've got some good people with with deep knowledge and broad knowledge that are able to make that happen.
0: Send in a card and they reject it for whatever reason, not supported, something like that. If it's a cheaper card, what do you do? Because now all of a sudden you maybe had to pay for them to list it as not supported and you maybe have to pay for them to ship it back to you or they'll give you an option. You can just contribute it to charity. So I do charity if I think it's not a very expensive card. What do you do?
1: I have only had that happen a couple times in the last few years. Typically, I've had it shipped back to me. There were a couple, the, the ones that it happens to me most often are more obscure vintage type stuff where I didn't know exactly what it is or if it's authentic or not authentic. I'm not sure. So I wanted somebody else's opinion on it. And it would come back as unsupported or it just didn't have any kind of authenticity to it. It wasn't confirmed as inauthentic. And so if it was, it could have some significant value to it. So I just had it sent back to me and maybe at some point I'll go my BGS route or a PSA route or SGC or some other avenue to be able to try to gain some authenticity for it. More often than not, that's the type of thing that I've had come into play. If it's something that's really not worth much, or it doesn't appear that even if it is supported would be worth all that much. I'm not usually going to even send that kind of stuff in. Okay. I'm curious, you definitely enjoy vintage and you definitely have a threshold of condition level that you're looking for when you're buying vintage. I was wondering when you find vintage cards on Com C, the same card will have multiple listings and multiple categories of condition that the site has assigned to it but it's not always super consistent. There can be things that are good, very good, where the card looks fantastic, and others in different categories that look way worse, but are at a much higher price. I was curious if you had any hints or tips or strategies that you use when looking for one of those vintage cards and finding the best card for the best price, when there can be such a wide range of actual condition categories.
0: This isn't just a problem for COMC; it's a problem in the whole hobby. We're mainly talking about ungraded raw cards. Yep. Necessarily super valuable cards, but still very collectible, whether it be a five if it was graded or a three or a seven. It's hard to tell from the image. What's happening, which I think is going to turn out to be a good thing, is that eye appeal is really all you got with Comp C. You've got scan eye appeal. You're going to look at the scan. Mm -hmm. If it looks pretty nice, I think if I priced it at a VG price and they say it's VGX, and it's pretty well centered, and the corners are not horrible, that's a good collectible card in the 50s. So I've sold some of those. The notion of eye appeal is healthy for raw cards. If you want to get it graded to know the nuance and the exact centering and corner and edges and surface, that's one thing. But just to say, I want a nice collectible card in my collection to complete my set. Of course, you can't price the holder. if There is no holder. You're just pricing the card when people are buying. Maybe it's price the card, not the scan. But if I look at the card and if I flip it over on the back, which I'm sometimes I'm lazy and I don't. But if it's got a big problem on the back, then that's a headache. But if it doesn't and it's presentable on the front, I think those are going to be cards that do well and do well on ComC. The, the, it's problematic because, like you said, there's so many buckets they can put it in, and if you've got to check them all, you again, if it's in great condition or terrible condition, it's easier. If it's something in the middle, it's tough. Yeah. Are you just price according to what you feel? Or are you trying to undercut or trying to be the patient seller like we've talked?
1: Yeah, when I'm buying, I will often just use eye appeal as, as the biggest driver. And I'll check a few of those different condition categories just to get a feel because there can be some significant overlap in them. As a seller, I'll typically look for some that look Similar based on the images that are on there and then try to price similar. Some of that vintage type stuff are things where I will be pricing more along the lines of what it looks like a similar high appeal card is going to have to the others on there versus trying to be the lowest or anything like that.
0: Yeah, you could be the lowest within your condition category, but then there's a lesser condition and some of those look just as nice. It's problematic, but it adds a dynamic element that allows people, if they do their homework and and really study it, there's some bargains there. I agree. Okay, do you take advantage of downloading the spreadsheet of your past sales and doing some analytical work there of what's selling and all that? I've done that a little bit. It's a little bit of a chore. I think there's mining big data, but do, do you do that very often?
1: I don't do it from the perspective of analyzing which cards are selling. I do it more from a a financial or accounting purpose, tax purposes, and those types of things to be able to capture my sales, my fees, and all of that type of stuff where I can filter by um, category and doing some of those types of things. So I definitely take advantage of the downloadable spreadsheets, but it's more from a tax financial purpose than it is for analyzing the, the category sports or players or anything like that.
0: You're a finance guy. Yep. And, uh, but are you a tax guy? Because I'm just wondering whether the ComC records that you could provide would be helpful in an audit.
1: I'm not a tax professional by any means. I, I use a CPA. But when I showed her the data that I can get from those ComC transactions, she found it very helpful when pulling together my overall business statements and things like that for tax.
0: What's the highest price card you would put on ComC? I'll give a tip of what I do because it's supposed to be tips and hacks and things. I don't want to put a, a valuable card on there. That's not consistent with other cards on there, even though I know it could eventually wind up in eBay. I, I want to put things on there that people could reasonably go to comp C to search for. Nevertheless, probably not putting rare Jordan inserts that, that are more suitable for auction. So it's not the actual dollar price as much as is it in the right neighborhood? Is there proximity to other cards? Because I, I think, Comp C is a set builder's dream. Yep. So I, I get several people buy several cards from an insert set and whether they're more expensive or less expensive, they can make an offer or buy them all. So that's more what I go by. How about you?
1: I think for me, the approach that I use, especially when I'm submitting cards, is I will typically use Comp C for cards between kind of that $1 to $20, one to $25 range. I typically have found that things above that I will list myself on eBay because I want to get that money a little bit quicker and be able to recirculate it back into another purchase or another collection. So when I come into cards that are in that $50, $100, $200 range, I'll typically list those just direct on eBay because I want to get that money back quicker and I don't want to wait for the processing and, and the time that it takes to get it up there. I'm less patient on that level of card than I am for these kind of $1 to $20, one to $25 type cards. So that's usually the threshold I'll use. I've probably sold some cards that are above that. There's exceptions to that rule. I've probably bought and relisted cards directly on the site that are outside of that window. But when it comes to me submitting something, I'm usually sticking to that $1 to $20, $25 range.
0: Yeah, I'll go above that. Like I said, if they're already on. If I was listing a whole bunch of cards from one set, let's say 100 cards that are buck 70 cards they're filling in it's not an easy set but not a hard set but it's something and so all the cards so i have 100 of them and they're all going to be priced at a buck 70 do you know the hack for how to enter 170 without typing in the
1: numbers i don't know how you can do it across the board i will, t- I will often c- control c or command c and copy and so that i can just hit the paste and enter, and then it skips to the next one and paste and enter over and over.
0: Okay. There's a better way. Okay, uh, Basically you put in a dollar 1.70 enter, and then it automatically puts you down in the next one. If you've sequenced them, it repeats the the last price that you did. So it'd go buck 70, buck 70, buck 70. It's just, st- sorry, do the enter. Okay. Yeah. If you're doing a whole bunch of cards and that's another reason for sequencing them. I I did a whole bunch of cards back a long time ago and they used to have their bulk price editor. I don't think that's been maintained.
1: It went away for a while. I think it did get reintroduced at some point, but I use a Mac and it's never been something that functioned on a Mac.
0: When my time with Tim, hey, Tim, and he's looking at me, hey, dude, you you know, get out of the Mac world. (laughs) He's a Microsoft guy. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Summer Waxpack hero. I hope this was helpful. We wanted it to be helpful. More sellers and more buyers on ComC. We welcome that. I think Tim does too. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, everybody.
1: Mm-hmm.